0: MZ face again
1: gets the pass away for P. Kia ora welcome to the All Black Podcast and a really special episode today. An awesome guest. I'm really excited about this one. Welcome to the studio, Sir Brian Williams, and don't worry, from now on in. I'll call you BG, but I wanted to get the formalities out of the way first up. Uh, please, please do, uh, Robert. It's, it's great to be with you. Mate, thank you so much. And and we're going to, um, a real focus of this podcast and, and a couple after this is to talk about the amazing history and relationship between the All Blacks and South Africa, which has this year been going for 100 years. And you're a massive part of that history, and, and it's been fascinating reading up on your role and the tours you've been on and the players you've played with. Um, and it's just a, such an iconic and, and awesome part of um, all black heritage to look back on that time. But before we get stuck into that stuff, I just wanted to talk a little bit about um, your upbringing and, and being a young person in Auckland. What, what was it like then? Were you, you know, you're such a, a well known patron and, and volunteer and, and just awesome person down at Ponsonby Rugby Club. Is that, is that where it all started? As a young person, were you down there for the ponies and the, the blue and black jersey from as the first time you could kick a ball around?
0: Well, I was uh, in the blue and black jersey, but it, it also contained a bit of white. I actually started <laughs> in the Ponsonby Rugby League uh, Club. Oh, controversial. Yeah, controversial. When I was five years old, and I played rugby league for the first um, five years of, of my life, and, and um so many of my heroes during that period were, were Kiwi guys, uh, oh. Billy Sorensen and uh, Bill Snowden, um, people like that. And and then, um, for some reason, my particular team uh, disbanded. We oh. we people moved out of the area, and and I had two brothers, Sess uh, and Ken, who were playing for Ponsonby Rugby, and uh, they coaxed me to come along to the rugby club. And and I must say, I've I've never never regretted that decision. It's been a a lifetime uh, love and a, and a passion, and I'm I'm still
1: uh, pretty heavily involved with the Ponsonby Rugby Club. Oh, mate, you're one of the great grassroots servants, and it's awesome to see you still down there today doing stuff for Ponsonby Rugby Club. But back then, um, you know this the rivalry between New Zealand and South Africa was it as as big as it seemed, you know, like the, the tours in, in 56 are, are well-storied, really famous tours with Don Clark and Peter Jones running down the sideline, 40 metres to score a try in front of 60,000 people at Eden Park, you know, the most people we've ever had to a test match. We had a tour in 60, we had a tour in 65. Like, how were you taking those in? Were they, were they the biggest show in town at the time? Well, they... Um for example,
0: at, at Ponsonby Rugby Club, we we used to have this big uh, mural on the on the wall uh, from the um, 1956 tour, yep. and um, uh, it it had a springbok and and a probably a, a kiwi at All Black and and, and just a, a greeting and and that that particular m- mural uh, stuck stuck with me uh, for that first part of my uh, time at Ponsonby Rugby Club, and then uh, as time went by, I I um, I followed the 1960 tour in South Africa and, you know, the Don Clarks and the Wilson Winerays and the Colin Meads and, and, and so many others uh, who, who were my uh, heroes right, right through the 1960s. I watched um, the series with the Springboks in 1965 and, um, you know, Brian Lahore had, had come into the team at that stage and, and um, so Colin Meads, Brian Lahore... Um, Malcolm Dick um, Ian McRae um, Chris Laidlaw m- many of the guys I actually ended up touring with in, in 1970 and um, speaking of Malcolm Dick he, he played for my club uh, Ponsonby Rugby Club and he was a winger as well so he was one of my heroes as, as I was growing up uh, and then to be able to uh, tour uh, with him in 1970 and tour with you know Colin Meads and, and Brian Lahore and uh, Ian McRae and um, so so many other Sid Going and Ian Kirkpatrick, so so many other uh, great All Blacks, uh, w- was just an ap- absolute eye opener for me. And and I must say, you know, I was I was terrified uh, <laughs> when I, when I was first selected. Um, you know, being in in the company of of people that you'd you'd grown
1: up idolising. Yeah. With it in the, the sixty five tour, here's a stat for you: seven hundred and fifty thousand New Zealanders attended twenty four matches across that tour. Like that is unreal, isn't it? Like we talked a little bit earlier back then, a tour was a tour. You know, like you had twenty four matches, including four Test matches. They pretty much played, you know, every single provincial union and some invitational teams um, across the whole country. How were we taking that in? Was it on the wireless? Was it on TV? Was it literally dominated the newspapers? You know, in nineteen sixty five when the South Africans were here.
0: Yeah, well, it was certainly on the radio, and and I I watched the uh, fourth test uh, at at Eden Park, um, which which was a, a great uh, victory uh, for awesome. the All Blacks. The All Blacks won twenty points to three from memory, and um, Mackie Herawini was yes. playing playing at first five, and and uh, Ron Rangi, um, one of my club mates uh, from Ponsonby, was was playing uh, centre, and. Um, you know, it was a really comprehensive victory uh, by the All Blacks that day and, and really uh, inspired me uh, to, to uh, by that stage, I was fully um, engrossed in, in the game of rugby and, and I just wanted to be an All Black, uh, from,
1: perhaps from those times. You didn't have to wait long. You did not have to wait long. Selected for the All Blacks when you were a 19-year-old for the 1972 to South Africa. How did you find out? Like, just recently this year... We had the All Black team announced on, on Sky Rugby the breakdown, so if the players wanted to find out, they tuned in to Sky Sport to find out, found out live. I think the majority were not told beforehand. How did you find out?
0: Well, we had a, a trial at uh, Athletic Park, and, and it followed a trial down in, in Palmerston North. And, of course, um, Athletic Park back then um, was, was um, uh, a concrete <laughs> jungle. It, it wasn't the, the plushest uh, stadium I've ever played in. And we we met under the the grandstand after the game, and of course, um, very solemn moment. The, the chairman of New Zealand rugby gets up, and here is the All Black team <laughs> to tour South Africa in 1970. And of course, um, they, they read out uh, the names, and you know all your emotions were, were totally exposed. You, you're either going to be very disappointed yeah. or, or very elated. And of course, um, my my name was was called out, but. During the game, uh, someone had actually stood on my hand and, and it had swollen up. And, of course, as soon as uh, I was selected, suddenly everyone was shaking that hand. <laughs> my hand was throbbing. <laughs> don't show any pain, though. <laughs> no, you, don't don't show any pain. And, and I uh, obviously uh, needed to make sure that it wasn't broken because uh, that, that might have uh,
1: prevented me from touring. So, um, so that's how it happened for me. And, like, you look back at all the all the research and all the commentary of the time, you're ahead of your time in so many ways. You're a big back, you know, you're a, you're a really big physical guy but fast and had a massive sidestep. You sort of probably would have been a social media superstar this day and age. <laughs> um, but did, did you feel that sort of thing? Did you think you're bringing something different to the game, a bit non-traditional? You know, you're a big guy for a back and, and you're really almost one of our first players with real flair.
0: Yeah, well, I knew I, I had speed, and I, I knew I had a sidestep, and, and um, uh, I, I guess, although I was um, relatively uh, quiet and, and reserved, I, I had a lot of confidence in, in what I could do on, on the rugby field, and, um, you know, when, when we got to South Africa, it, it obviously, uh, the conditions just suited me ideally. The, the grounds were hard and, and fast, and uh, my, my first game uh, for the All Blacks was against the Paul Roos uh, 15, uh, who who weren't you know much much shakes to be fair, and uh, I was really fortunate. The very first time I got the ball, I, I was in space and, and scored a try, and and uh, <laughs> that gave me a lot of confidence. And then I, I managed to score a, a second try, and uh, you know my All Black career was underway. I'd come off the field and guys patting you on the back and. Oh, you're one of us, good boy. You know you've you've, you've passed the test, sort of stuff.
1: <laughs> Brilliant. And you're you're a trailer, trailblazer in so many ways. You're you're one of our. I don't know if you're the first, but you're one of our first players of Pacifica heritage to make the team. Was that something that sat heavily on your shoulders, or you were just a young fella who wanted to play for the All Blacks at the time and and get on a tour to South Africa and and go prove yourself as you did?
0: Well, it, it certainly uh, was something I was proud of. I I, I knew of my. Um, um, Pacifica uh, roots, obviously. My dad was born in Samoa and my mum was born in Rarotonga. And um, and that particular team, of course, was was history-making in, in the sense that uh, four of us yeah. uh, were the first players of, of dark blood uh, to be allowed to tour to South Africa. And, you know, you look back at uh, many of the, the great Maori players, particularly who who had missed that opportunity right right through the ages. And, Dating right back to George Snipier and and um, many others, uh, so so that that was a, a big responsibility and and um, going going to apartheid South Africa uh, obviously uh, was was pretty daunting. I must say, I, I was uh, as the plane touched down, <laughs> I had a bit of a panic attack and uh,
1: wanted wanted to go back home to mum. <laughs> <laughs> once you got through that, once you got on the ground, what's the reception like from the South African community? Were they um, apprehensive about having four players of colour on the tour, which they'd never had before? Were they welcoming? You know, was it split between the coloured community in South Africa versus the Afrikaans and the white community um, in South Africa? Or were you sheltered from it? You know, how did it all um, happen for you once you got there?
0: Well, when, once we got there, it became very apparent that um, we were rugby players. We were yep. all blacks, and, and they were they loved their rugby, and... and um, so we were welcomed uh, with with open arms. But but having said that, the the coloured and, and black community of South Africa uh, took us um, to their hearts, really. And and uh, the three Māori boys and and myself
1: uh, probably became uh, their their heroes. It's pretty cool, isn't it, to go on an away tour and and have actually additional support from a bunch of sections of the South African community as well. Well, it
0: was it was pretty pretty interesting and. Um, you know, we've talked about the political uh, scenario in, in the past and, and why did you go, why didn't you go, why didn't you um, t- take a stand? But um, I, I honestly believe that it, it was a big part in in um, just creating another chink in, in apartheid. Apartheid was, was an abhorrent uh, political system. We, we all understand that. But it was a question of, of how, how you bring it to a close, how, yep. how you convince people that, that, that it's uh, an absolute nonsense.
1: Yeah, that's it. And, I mean, you did that in spades. 14 tries across 13 games. Like you say, you got to try with one of your first touches. Absolute superstar on that tour. So I think not a minor chink, but probably a massive chink in the armour of, of slowly breaking down um, that political system which is not there today, which is great. We talked a little bit about there's so much commentary around the tour and, and the political situation, but what I want to ask you a lot about, which is sometimes, I don't know, heaps about is back then, you know, these days, if, as I was saying to you beforehand, if we want to watch um, the South African players or learn a bit about the South African players or watch the South African team, easy. Pop on Sky, you know, or any number of platforms and I can I can find that. I can watch South Africa play the Lions in the weekend. I can watch South African domestic rugby. I can scout the opposition till the cows come home. But you didn't have that luxury when you were playing. So how do you prepare for a three-month tour um, in a country where you probably actually don't know that much about the opposition outside of the fact that they're massive and they love rugby and they're crazy about it.
0: Well, you're absolutely right. Um, we, we didn't have much chance to assess uh, who the opposition were. I, I remember seeing some uh, video film of, of the, um, I think it was the Wallabies tour to South Africa in 1969 and um, saw some of the the Springbok players, um, Gert Muller, was one of the the wingers, who played in 1970 and he, he was a big, strapping, uh, fast-running uh, winger. And, um, you know, saw saw their, their, their top players uh, briefly, and, and I guess you studied it for a while, but it was only the highlights. So we really had to do our our, our assessment uh, on the run. You know, we, we had some um, lead-up games to the first Test match, and, and you played against um, some of the, the Springboks during those games, and, I guess we won those games a bit too easy because um, it probably lulled us into a false sense of security. Well, once the Springboks came together collectively, uh, (laughs) they were a a different beast. And and, um, I'll never forget the intensity of that first test match at Pretoria in in 1970. I I don't think I've ever um, experienced a more... um, uh, demented uh, <laughs> <laughs> opposition. It, it was almost as if uh, you know they, they
1: were on something because it was yeah. it was it was scary. I think they were starved of rugby, and when the All Blacks came into town, it was such a big occasion that there was such anticipation. And like you say, anywhere between sixty to eighty thousand people at those test matches yeah. creates a hell of an atmosphere. But like you said, the the conditions. You know, the hard surfaces of South Africa. Uh, maybe created a fast... Was that was that the tactics of the All Blacks there? The South Africans are often really, really big guys. We had some talent out wide, like yourself. Was it a tactic of ours to get the ball to players like yourself to try and use space in the wider channels? And and you know because of that, you saw a lot of ball, a lot of opportunity, and, and I've seen you comment before, while you didn't know much about the South Africans, they didn't know a lot about you, did they? So they didn't know the big sidestep and, and some of the pace you had for such a big player and probably caught them off guard. It certainly seems so... By your try scoring record on that tour, yeah,
0: well, I, I guess I, I I was an unknown, and as you say, I I, I didn't particularly uh, know them, um, but uh, you know we we, we just uh, we we didn't have much much uh, uh, time to to assess them, and um, we we just went out there. The, the style of play, obviously, Fred Allen had been the coach uh, yeah. prior to uh, that particular tour, and and then. Um, Ivan Vodanovich uh, took over from him. So the, the side had played pretty attractive rugby, uh, particularly uh, from 1967, the, the tour to the UK. So they, they had become used to moving the ball uh, quickly and, and um, lots of hand-to-hand passing and, and putting people into space, uh, which obviously suited my style of play. So... Um, yeah, we, we played an attractive brand of rugby, uh, but but by the same token, we, we also had very strong forward pack, um, and and Colin Meads particularly and Brian Lahore were, were playing at the absolute top of their form.
1: Legends of our game, aren't they?
0: Absolute legends, and and um, you know when when Pine Tree uh, broke his arm uh, in the middle of the tour, it. it uh, it it really uh, cost cost us big time. He he was not only the way he was playing, but just his influence on the field and, and being an enforcer. And uh, I, I think he might have uh, kept Frick Dupriya, the, the Springbok lock, a,
1: a lot quieter if he'd have been there. <laughs> hey, that's something that gets you know mentioned a lot. Just the sheer brutality of Test rugby at that time. And that's something I wanted to ask you: is is it literally part of the tactics to match fire with fire, you know, like it's it was common practice back then to lean across and give your opposite an uppercut to let him know who's boss today. Colin Meade certainly has uh, often spoke of that you know, Kevin Skinner from the 1956 series was literally bought out of retirement um, to enforce the South African front row went to both sides of the scrum to do it, you know was that something you'd actually talk about uh, in the lead up to test matches? Absolutely, I guess and, and um, we, we didn't have video replays back then
0: and, and TMOs, so um Players used to get away with, with a lot of foul play, yep. dare, dare I say it, and and um, and uh, it, it was just um, turned a blind eye to. Um, and, and the touch judges...
1: A couple of home refs always helps with that, don't well,
0: we? they? Well, they certainly helped, and I guess they, they'd they label that, that criticism at, at us when they come to New Zealand. Sure. So, so, and, and to be fair, uh, probably warranted looking back through history. I'd
1: ref it like that, mate. <laughs> I'd ref it like that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the result stood, it was 3-1, you know, and another tour, we'd been to the, South Africa and we have not been able to crack it. We have not been able to beat South Africa um, in their country. Did you look back, you know, where were your chance, were there things, was it the injury to Meads, even though he, he played quite a lot of rugby through that broken arm, were there opportunities in the test match uh, where you thought, geez, we, we were very, very close, whether to drawing the series or whether being able to win the series, did you mm. think on that particular tour cuz it's a well-storied career uh, tour and a very famous tour.
0: Mm. Yeah, well you obviously look back with with regret and and what might have been. Um I, I remember that that fourth test uh, particularly. Um we, we were down uh, 17-6 and um I I got the ball from a, a great little uh, Sid going breakout on on the left and Something just clicked in in my uh, brain, uh, mate. Don't score in the corner. You got to get under the bar. You're right. Yeah, we needed the extra two points. So I, uh, I guess I backed myself and and sidestepped uh, two or three of them and behind the goal line
1: and and. Um, and and put the ball under under the post, and that, that got us back to seventeen eleven. There's famous footage of that, like as some of the old dogs in the team, like, "Hey, young fella, put the ball down," <laughs> or they like good stuff, or yeah, you know, yeah.
0: <laughs> or, or Pine Tree, in, a, in, a, <laughs> in another game. Uh, exactly, he, he, I've started to do the same thing. He said, "Put that bloody ball
1: down." <laughs> I'd say you listen pretty quick when you. Too? Yeah, well, yeah, I certainly listened to, to Pine Tree for sure. When it's all done and dusted, you know, as I said, the stuff that that just takes up columns columns and columns of commentary on that series is a lot of the political stuff but mm. like you say you were there you're a rugby player um, did you mix with the other team are they great mates some of the players you played against from that tour were there after match functions where you you know you'd obviously absolutely beat the sense out of each other for 80 minutes on the field in front of you know 60 70 80,000 mad South African supporters but when it was done you know off to the after-match function, have a couple of beers with your opposition who I have no doubt you hugely respected and, and probably were able to do something on that tour that we maybe are not able to do as much in today's game, which is spend a decent amount of time with your opposition.
0: Well, that was exactly uh, the way it was. Uh, once the game was done, um, you, you did uh, socialise and fraternise with the opposition, Um I marked a guy called Sid Nomis, uh during during the tour, and him and I became uh, pretty good mates. And um, even to the extent, um, by 1995, when when I was back in South Africa with the South team at the Rugby World Cup, uh, we we spent uh, a bit of time together partying and talking about old times. And um, and I've, I've I've met up with a, a number of the ex uh, Springbok players subsequently as well. I've been back to South Africa on, on a, a couple of occasions um, uh, even after 95 and, and met up with um, uh, people that I played against. So that that's the beauty of rugby. Um, y- you play the game hard and, and then you you know, knock each other over and then you pick each other up and, and walk off arm in arm and, and you have a beer
1: and you break bread together and um, it's, it's one of the beauties of, of our great game. When you got home, like... You're a nineteen, twenty-year-old. Like it's it's amazing to think the life experiences. Listen to you speak now that you've had at such a young age, but when you got home, you know what was your reflection on the trip? Um, you know what was the reception back here in New Zealand around the tour? Were you welcomed home as heroes? Um, were you really really happy with how the tour went? You know, like what were your experiences once you got back? It's three months, isn't
0: it? Mm. Yeah, three and a half months. Um, and and as you can imagine, you you tour to every part of. South Africa, and um, generally speaking, you're only playing once a week. Uh, there are midweek games, but there's, there's often a midweek team and a, and a weekend uh, team, and if you're not playing, then you can um, enjoy and get out and see the scenery. And and, um, and, and when you're playing, of course, you're, you're quite the opposite. You're totally focused on, on the next game at hand. But uh, after the tour, you, you reflect and... I, I was pretty satisfied the way the tour had gone for me, except of course we'd, we'd lost a series. Uh, so that was 1970, and I knew there was another tour coming up in 1976. So uh, just wanted to be on that tour and and um,
1: and, and try and uh, get some sort of uh, revenge, I suppose. Totally, we had meant to come here in '73. The tour was called off because political pressure, uh, change of government. Muldoon came in. Invitation went out. Um, from the South African Rugby Union for us to go in 1976. Was there anything different about that tour? Was it almost exactly the same circumstances? Not a lot had changed, or 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 was it different? Was some of the pressures increasing? And and you know, you felt that as now an experienced All Black, you weren't a, a young 19-year-old, but you're you're absolutely part of the furniture within the All Black environment. Yeah, by then I, I was probably uh, one of the more
0: experienced players, and. Um South Africa had, had started to change. We, we uh, did notice some, some changes. Some would say only cosmetic changes. But, um, for, for example, um, some of the hotels uh, we were staying in, in, in 1970, the only uh, coloured or black people in the hotels were those serving us. Whereas by 1976, they, they had designated uh, some of the hotels International hotels, right. so so um, coloured and, and black people could could stay there as as guests. Yep. Um, now some might say that that's uh, that's only cosmetic, and, and it probably is. But but just started to notice that that things were starting starting to change, and as as uh, as we we went through the nineteen eighties into the nineteen nineties, we we then saw um, Nelson Mandela released from prison and. And eventually become president of South
1: Africa 76 you had the luxury of of being on the 1972 were well, there other players have been on that tour as well so you could take those experiences into that trip and, and try and learn try and find ways to, to turn a 3-1 result around into either a draw or a victory it was um, Ian Kirkpatrick uh, was was on that tour and, and uh, Sid
0: going um, by then Kirkie had, had uh, lost the captaincy uh, to, to Andy Leslie um, but but having been there certainly the three of us wanted to uh, um, try and try and turn around the result from 1970 and um, uh, we tried hard uh, once again uh, got to the, the last test match and um, uh, we, we were leading uh, going pretty much into the last line out of, of the series uh, 14-12 I think it was and um, uh, conceded a, a dubious penalty at, at a line out um, which uh, their kicker Gerald Bosch converted to win uh, 15-14. Um, so uh, once again, lost opportunity and, and uh, coming home with your tail between your legs, uh, <laughs> well, it wasn't, it wasn't a nice feeling. What, what was even worse was um, the New Zealand Rugby Union had been offered um, the chance to have neutral referees uh, for that tour and, and declined it on the basis that all referees are neutral anyway. Oh, are they? <laughs> are they? I beg, I beg to differ. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, no, well, there's, that was the first first test series that was broadcast live back home, and, and you're a known quantity then. You had been to South Africa in 1970, and there's a lot of uh, material that suggests, and particularly in the Cape Town test where they had really strong... Uh, coloured support in the crowd that you were perhaps the most popular player on the field. Did you did you feel that stuff, or once you got into the cauldron, it was very much focusing on the test match at the job at the hand? But or did you actually really notice that? Geez, I'm in enemy territory here, but I've I've got a few fans. Like that's pretty cool. Well, we certainly
0: noticed it, and and we're well aware of it that that uh, that was the case. And um, you know, I and other players uh, visited uh, the homes of of uh, the coloured people, and and um, and and, and enjo- enjoyed it and and but but when we did you, you could sense um their the, um, concern at the fact that we were there and and uh, possibly putting them and us us at some some risk so it was a totally um oh, misguided yeah. uh, political system and thankfully it's
1: it's it's past now but but i guess there are other issues at, at hand as well you spoke about it before we came in. You, you're actually part, part of the 1970 tour, part of the 1976 tour. One of our great All Blacks, lucky enough to play against the old foe eight times, which is pretty amazing um, over the course of your career. But you're also part of another really significant moment in rugby in South Africa going over to the World Cup. It was only a few years after apartheid had finished. You were there with the Samoan team. What was the feeling there? Like, we obviously. So focused on how the All Blacks did at that tournament and losing in the final to South Africa in 95 and Mandela coming out in the final and the plane over the top and and all that sort of stuff. But you were there with the Samoan team who are also blazing a bit of a trail as well in, in their rugby journey. How was it for you with that side at that event? What were the experiences in 95 with Samoa?
0: Well, they, they were uh, great, great experiences. Um, we actually made the quarterfinals on on that uh, particular World Cup, and um, ended up uh, playing uh, in the quarterfinal against South Africa at Ellis Ellis Park, uh, which which was a, a special special occasion. Um, I don't think uh, we we quite had the the team to, to beat uh, the Springboks, and and the Springboks were on a a, a special journey, as we know, they they were on a um, a mission, uh, which would say ultimately were able to uh, achieve, um, whether you like it or not. <laughs> there were obviously one or two um, extenuating circumstances, I, I suppose. But um, no, that, that was pretty special. But but um, in in the background of that particular rugby world cup. Uh, there was a, a battle uh, for the control of, of world rugby uh, going on between um, the World Rugby Corporation, the Kerry Packer yeah. uh, group, and 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 the conventional uh, game. And um, you know, i as I say, I, I was coach of uh, Samoa, one of the coaches. Um, we. Thought that uh, having made quarterfinals in, in the last two World Cups and played in Super Rugby that we would definitely be part of the conversation about uh, whether uh, we we go into professional rugby or not, and and when the dust had settled, um, and I guess everyone was looking after their own own patch at, at that stage. Uh, the Pacific Islands just got totally left out in the cold, and and you know quite frankly of of had a sense of grievance about that for the last 25, 26 years. So um, that, that, that was something that was happening in, in the background. And, um, you know, here we are uh, 2021. And, and uh, we, we now finally have a Moana Pacifica team that, that's got a licence uh, to play in uh, Super Rugby uh, 2022. So I'm pretty
1: happy about that. You've got to be super proud of that because like you hinted at a little bit earlier, it's, it has to be a culmination of the things players like yourself did on tours to South Africa in 1970 and 1976. I have no doubt in 1995 when you were part of the coaching team for Samoa that the South African community looked at the Samoan team who were super successful in '91 and '95 as well and saw them um, as a really inspirational group of people and, and you must be absolutely over the moon now that all things going well, that next year we'll see the Moana Pacifica team playing in a professional rugby competition in our part of the world, and not having so many players in other parts of the world.
0: No, well, exactly, and I, I'm um, very thrilled at, at, at that development. Um, many, many of those players uh, that we had in '95, once, once uh, Samoa, Tonga, Fiji were left out in the cold. They ended up going and uh, playing up in Europe, yeah, um, and in Japan. So. Um, It's been a difficult scenario for the national teams of
1: of the Pacific Islands ever since. It's it's fantastic. It's great news. I'm really looking forward to that next year. And to flick to rugby today, we haven't played South Africa since 2019. And the thing I'm really excited for when we do play them this year, and it sort of shows a little bit, uh, that scarcity creates a bit of anticipation. You know, it would be sometimes five, six years between tours for you. And I can see how, as a player, let alone someone like myself, a rugby fan, that scarcity or those big gaps create real, real anticipation to want to go on those trips. When the All Blacks play, South Africa at the end of the year, South Africa in are in a battle at the moment with the Lions. Um, are you excited for that series? How do you rate our chances? Do you keep an eye on South Africa? Sear Khaleesi, a coloured player, captaining their side today. It's all pretty exciting, isn't
0: it? Yes, it is. And and um, great great to see South Africa win the World Cup uh, in 2019 if, if the All Blacks uh, weren't able to do it. Um yeah it it's a lot of anticipation uh, for October the 2nd I, I think is is when when we're due to play uh, the Springboks again and as you say those tours of of 1960 65 70 76 mo- most people can name all the players uh, who were on those particular tours the rugby buffs certainly Yep. Certainly can. Absolutely. But nowadays, of course, and, and they know the results. Yep. You know, they could recite all the results, but nowadays, you know, they, they play so frequently that, yep. that um, it's easily forgotten. And as you say, we haven't played
1: for a couple of years, so so the anticipation this time I think is uh, pretty great. Sir Brian, I've got to slip that one in to finish. Okay. Sir Brian, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I know... Um, you say you're not too busy, but I have no doubt you're doing a huge amount of mahi down at the Ponsby Rugby Club. You spend a huge amount of, di- amount of time down here, one of New Zealand's great rugby servants. I appreciate you coming in and talking a little bit about your experiences with South Africa through the 70s. Um, and I thank you very much for coming in.
0: My oh, pleasure.